Today is going to be a fun cowbell fever podcast, or at least I had a lot of fun recording it. Uh, first up, we have meteorologist Quetzal Levens, which autocorrects to Kettle Levels, talking about the weather outlook for the next few days and what's on the ground so far in the Northwoods. Then we journey across the globe to talk to 2020 Berkey champion and current Olympian Jess Yaten in the Olympic Village somewhere outside Beijing. And yeah, she's actually going to go straight from Beijing to Minneapolis and on to Hayward. The podcast is brought to you by Pioneer Midwest Race Wax Service. Um, you can save 10% on it if you sign up using the code podcast at pioneermidwest.com. And as I've said before, take it from me. It's a lot easier to have someone else wax your skis. And remember to post trail reports to SkiWise so we can all keep track of the best pre-race skiing. That's at skiwise-app.com. So thank you for coming on, Ketzel. Ketzel Levens is a meteorologist and a leeway of classic skier. And I think uh, since you've been on a number of times, I think I'm going to call you the chief meteorologist for the Cowbell Fever podcast. I think we're at that point now. I think what we'll start with is where the Berkey Trail is for snow, what's gone on so far this winter, and then we'll get it looking ahead a little bit at what might be coming down the pike in the next week or so. If you're a, a Berkey fanatic, you may have seen the video that Ben Pop recently did about conditions on the Berkey Trail, which is snow conditions. So it's been an interesting winter up here as far as snow goes. So we've had a lot of cold this winter, um, as many folks in the Northwoods would definitely nod their heads empathetically to. But we had some snow early on in December, and then we had a really dry January, especially for the Cable Hayward area. So they missed out on almost every single clipper system that would nip northern Minnesota and then bring lake effect snow to the south shore of Lake Superior, but they missed out on a lot of that. And so they had one semi-decent snow in very early January, and then it was very dry, just a couple traces, half an inches here and there. So they're working with pretty old snow down on the Berkey Trail. Um, I went and checked and on the, along the trail, they're at anywhere from four to 12 inches of snow depth. Unfortunately, right where the Berkey Trail is, is right where there's a little bit of a snow hole right now in snow depth, which is kind of unfortunate. And that hole is anywhere from eight to 16 inches below normal for snow depth for this time of year. So they are running a little low right now, but they do have snow on the ground. There aren't any just like mud puddles anywhere. Um, I was down on the trail a couple weekends ago for the Sealy Classic, and there were definitely a lot of thin spots, some dirty spots. They got a couple inches this past weekend, and hopefully they'll be getting a little bit more, but they are suffering a little bit, and they're dealing with a lot of old snow that they can only do so much with. Any skiers going to want more, <laughs> more snow. I think Berkey Trail could really benefit from a couple good, you know, dumpings that could get groomed in. Um, I'm just not sure if that's exactly what they're going to end up getting. And there was some early snow in December, but then there was a sort of freak warm up that washed it all away. Yeah, yeah. So December 15th, I believe it was, was just this absolutely insane storm that came through the Midwest, which brought really severe weather to southern Minnesota and southern Wisconsin. And to us, it brought just pouring rain and this insane warm-up. It was extremely unfortunate. I was working the overnight shift for that storm and I woke up to thunderstorms at about 9 p.m. that night. So we did, we went back down to zero as far as snow depth goes. We got some snow on the backside of that system, uh, but as you can imagine, it was, you know, pretty wet um, on the ground that was falling, so not a lot stuck. So we really 
we're starting from zero um, in the middle of December. I'm looking at the data for December right now, and it looks like Hayward spiked up to 59 degrees, which is not something you want to see uh, in Hayward in December and certainly not something you want to see in Hayward in February. I'm pretty sure they set a record high. I know that Ashland, Wisconsin, which is one of the official climatological climate sites um, for the Duluth uh, area, did set a high record that day. Um, It was a really interesting setup, actually, where the record high was set really late in the day because all of that warm air was pushing up and it was pushing up over a snowpack from the snow that had fallen a week before or so, which cooled it for a while. And after a certain point, it was at like 10, 11, p.m. the warm air that was aloft finally broke down and we had this rapid warm-up of 10-15 degrees where we hopped up like you said to almost 60 degrees at Hayward. So that really brought the Berkey back to square one and then since then it's been quite a bit colder than normal without all the precipitation I think so that at least has been good for the ice on Lake Hayward if not for a thicker blanket of snow across the rest of the trail. Yeah, absolutely. I'll keep referencing back to these videos that the Berkey posts, but they do a really great job of keeping us all updated on the trail. Um, we the, All of those cold temperatures really helped a lot of lake ice. I mean, even on Lake Superior, we have ice forming coming down from really warm water temperatures. This past summer, those cold temperatures helped set up really, really solid bases. I can't speak to what exactly the ice depth is on Lake Hayward or any of the surrounding lakes, but it is certainly nothing to be worried about. And if we don't get any major crazy warm-ups, we shouldn't have to worry about any kind of slushy situations either. So given what we have on the ground, what we would really like to see right now is maybe even a warm-up, something that would melt the top layer of snow with a little sun, or maybe put some moisture into it and some snow or some sleet or freezing rain or rain, but of a higher moisture content. Um, But also a thicker layer of snow would also help just to give us more base to deal with. What are the chances we might see something like that? Well, as far as those different options go, you might actually get both of them. So we're really warm today. Uh, We, last I checked, are just almost at freezing. So we have a couple warm days in the near-term forecast, one being today, and then towards the end of the week, Thursday, Friday timeframe, we go up kind of hitting around those freezing temperatures, which should allow that snowpack to kind of moisten up a bit. But with those warming temperatures are also coming a couple disturbances. So... Small chance of snow tonight. We'll see what that amounts to. That snow will probably have fallen by the time um, this comes out. Yeah. Cool. So everybody will just get to see how much actually falls out of the sky. Shouldn't be too much. <laughs> um, I am in the middle of it. I was in the semis when I stopped to to take this call, so... <laughs> Yeah. So we'll cool down a little bit into midweek, but then we have another chance for a snowy precipitation system later in the week because we're getting up we are recording this near on freezing. There is it some chance that some rain night, so, could mix um, in with the snow, which may not be the worst thing in the world to get a little bit of extra moisture it's like, into let's the snowpack. It's not going to be all rain. Hopefully at least a couple inches of snow should yet? fall with that system for Hayward. That's a nice chance for some precipitation to okay, cool so it's down like watching into the, the next week when there isn't any delay and huge that you know the, big signals for disturbances coming through as far as precipitation goes in the, in the easily forecasted kind of time frame. So, yeah. 
if we look at, you know, the Climate Prediction Center's 6 to 10, 8 to 14 day outlooks, it is kind of interesting as far as their temperature and precipitation outlooks go for that kind of northwest Wisconsin region, because we're on the edge of above, below normal temperature and precipitation. In the temperature realm, that's because there's going to be flow coming off of the northern Rockies, which is going to lead to downslope warmings for the northern plains. And there's a question of how far east that warming You're will be able to about make the it, next week. especially when we that, have a pretty uh, cold it's, air it's, mass it's really sitting over Hudson guess. Bay. So there's probably going to be a pretty stark gradient, pretty stark contrast that's going to determine which realm we fall in, um, whether it's below or above normal temperature. Right now, it looks like we might tend towards the below normal instead of the above, which is fine by me. I'm mostly a classic skier. I don't mind when it gets too cold. Um, And for precipitation, there are signals for pretty persistent high pressure over the plains, which could lead to a drier pattern for precipitation. It could mean that there's kind of an active clipper system going on, and it just matters. It determines just how far south those clippers get, whether or not the Cable Hayward area gets any of that snow. Unfortunately, nice cold temperatures generally means a really good lake effect snow setup, um, but Cable Hayward, they're just too far south to quite get that lake benefit. So that's what we're looking at there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, we're really on the edges of these potential anomalies in temperature and precipitation. And in the shorter term, in the kind of one to two week outlook, it yeah, really sometimes it feels have like a we're going to be on the colder side of it. That warm air is going to stay more in the northern and I central think a lot plains. Of us are scarred from in the Berkey time frame, you know, we're not, the signal is not nearly as strong as it was in 2017, as some folks might remember. You know, we're not in that red bullseye. We're not right on the edge of it. So I think if it's going to be warm, it's not going to be nearly as bad as it was. The The problem is there's just really not a super great signal for it. So it could be above normal, but right now we're not looking at anything quite at the same magnitude. Right. Yes. (laughs) Correct. Absolutely. Um, I'm, you know, I think last year's kind of break from the official race was actually really nice. I just skied it to skied it and I'm really excited to get back out there and do, do the real course this year. Well, and above normal, it was 29 degrees for a high and and 12 for a low is still pretty much above normal. Thanks, Jeff, for coming on. That would be fine. What we don't want to see is 55. that we've ever done a podcast from the Berkey Trail. Well, that sounds good, and I think we're going to set up something next week to check in to see what we're looking like with about two weeks to go. And I assume you're pretty excited for the Berkey. Take some time out of her Olympic Village experience to come and just talk about the Berkey and talk about the Olympics. So I guess the first question is, like, you are an American, or at least you have the American awesome. accent. Well, uh, you ski for the Australian you ski team. On the podcast, and so how did you find your way down well. under? 
So I am originally, I was born in Perth. My mom is from there. So my whole mom's side of the family is there. So I have tons of cousins and aunts and uncles and everyone's over in Perth. Um, so I was born there, lived there for two years. And my dad's from New Jersey and he worked for ConocoPhillips. So we, I think the office is closed down there. Um, and so we ended up moving to Texas um, when I was two and then basically moved around after that on like six year intervals. So I was in Texas for six years and then Dubai for another six or I guess five or six years. Um, and then I moved to Alaska when I was like 12. And then, so that's where I picked up skiing. So that was kind of crazy moving from Dubai. It was like really hot and then moved to Alaska in the dead of winter. And yeah, just picked up winter sports and then um, kind of have been doing it ever since. Um, and then I went and skied uh, NCAA at MSU. And someone actually said to me, oh, are you actually Australian? Like, you know, you could be skiing for their team. And I was like, yeah, I am. But I didn't really know there was skiing there. So that was pretty funny. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool. Because like on the West Coast, it's all beach. Like there's no, there's none of that. It's all the skiing's on the East Coast, kind of inland from Melbourne. And Australia is the size of the U.S. So it's not like, you know, yeah. it's a short trip. Totally. No, I think people don't realize that too. They're like, you know, why don't you like hop on over? I'm like, it's actually really far away. But yeah, so I went over there for two years when I was in college and kind of um, raced and then ended up switching my fist license. And I've been racing for the team ever since. So when I graduated college, it was my first full season, um, like racing World Cup. So I went to like World Champs. And yeah, I think that was 2014 or 15 that year. It's been a cool journey. <laughs> and what is the Australian ski team like these days? Well, first of all, it's a really awesome team. Like we have such good vibes and just it's a really fun group of people. Um, it's we don't have a ton of presence on the World Cup. Like we sort of select different like target World Cups that we'll go to. Right here in Beijing, we have two girls qualified and then four boys. Um, so it's not a super big team. But I mean, there's a lot more skiers than you would think, honestly, like a massive junior contingency like they do these big trips um and there's just tons of like passion for the sport and like people getting into it and that's really cool to see like we were traveling in there um sort of doing some races before the olympics and there was like a huge number of junior skiers over in europe racing so it's really cool to see and are the rest of the rest of the team people who grew up in australia and learned to ski there yeah most of them are um but there's actually like recently we've had a couple norwegians join the team so we have um tuva uh, who she races at uaa and she is like me dual citizen and then another guy who's here now um lars is also a norwegian dual citizen who's pretty similar to me he has parents from um western australia uh, and then there's one other girl too who is norwegian but she's not on the team otherwise everyone else is uh basically from the east coast so i'm like kind of on my own being from perth but um everyone kind of grows up around the mountains and that's how they get into skiing i think yeah i actually studied abroad many 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 years ago in melbourne and i guess from from melbourne to lake mountain which had a huge fire a couple of years ago it was only about an hour and a half mm -hmm. so you could do day trips there so i sort of found mm -hmm. people on the early internet to, to get rides with. And I did the World Open Race down there, which I think I That's remember. Awesome. I remember from the World Open Race, it started at about 32 degrees and people were standing next to me shivering. And I was in a t-shirt and it was about 45 and sunny during the race and people were, and they were giving out hot feeds. Whoa. And I was putting snow into the feeds because it's like I couldn't put anything warm into my body. I was overheating and everyone else was shivering because everyone, no one lives up there. Almost everyone lives down where it's warm. So it was, uh quite the experience. Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, the skiing is pretty cool. Like, it's good skiing. I think for cross country, it's really, I mean, I think for downhill, it's maybe like, I don't know, like that weather range is maybe not the best. Like, I remember a number of times when I was there, 
um, it'd just be pouring rain. And I'm like, I feel like it would not be that fun to go downhill skiing right now, but the lifts were totally full. And I was like miserable cross-country skiing. So there's definitely a lot of passion for it. <laughs> but I feel like for cross-country, it's not such a big deal, like what the snow conditions are, I guess. So like there's so many, like Falls Creek is... And that's the only place I've skied, but there's just such an extensive network of trails. It's really good training. Um, it's at altitude. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's awesome. The only reason I wasn't going there, like, my last couple of years is because I was skiing with APU and we had the glacier 45 minutes away. So it was, like, pretty hard to, like, commit to, you know, traveling all the way down there. And especially when my family's all on the West Coast, like you said, it's not close. So easier for me to train uh, on the glacier, especially when we had people at like Keegan and Sadie to train with. So, um, yeah. Otherwise, I probably would have spent more time yeah. skiing there. <laughs> you have been for the last few years in physical therapy school? Yep. Yeah, so I'm at UNM, um, and I started in uh, 2019 now, I guess, after the last world championships in uh, Seyfeld. And I'm currently on a leave of absence. Basically, I had to request time off to be here and to qualify because it's not easy to be traveling back and forth because it's a really full, full-time schedule. Um, but I have half a year left now. It's all clinical placements. Um, so when I go back, I'll be kind of doing three different nine week rotations in Colorado and Utah. So it's pretty exciting. Um, but I'm done with all my like official coursework, which is cool. So I'm out of the classroom. (laughs) And so you'll be graduating this summer and then you're off, off into the real world. Yeah, I will be graduating technically in October. Um, my class graduates in May, but now I'm delayed. So I'm like walking with them, but then technically finishing in, in like late October now. Have you chosen your rotation based on skiing or other outdoors pursuits? With my background and stuff, like I think I want to work in sports. Um, and so I've got like some more specific, like, like I have a sports rotation in Utah. We're required to do one that's like in the hospital. So I'm doing one of those, but we'll see, like, it's really interesting you know, you go into PT school with like some idea of what you want to do. But I think one thing I've learned is that there's so many more aspects of the field than I ever knew. And you kind of are like, man, maybe I'll work, you know, like in neuro or something like that. And I think before I went to school, I, I didn't realize that. So it'll be interesting to see like after my rotations, if I still feel the exact same way. 2020 Berkey, I know we talked afterwards at the moccasin and I know I'd had a couple of beverages at that point. But that was the first time you'd done the Berkey and, you know, you were in school, you just came up for the weekend to do it? Yeah, so I, um, that was, yeah, in the middle of my first year, which was like the crazy year. And I actually like, didn't think I'd be able to make it, but I really wanted to. Um, And it was actually my boyfriend, David, he like planned the whole trip for me and was just like, you're gonna go like I had an exam the morning that I flew, which was Friday, the Berkey was on a Saturday. So I flew like I left school after the exam and flew the whole day and got there at like 1030. And David like rented my car and like planned out where I was staying and everything. And he like I had sent my race skis with um, with someone else from Albuquerque and they dropped him off to get waxed and tested for me. And so I just showed up to the start line that morning. Kind of a crazy trip, but worked out well for me. And yeah, it was I was on the plane like the next day back home. So it was a quick trip, but I'm going um, racing again this year and I get to actually go early and like experience a little more so that'll be cool so you you, last time you just picked up your skis on Saturday morning and jumped on them and went yeah wow Mm -hmm. yeah I didn't ski the day before or anything which is interesting because we talk a lot about like how it's really important to like you know like know the course and like um like ski the day before and do your race prep and like I mean I, I remember like in the airport I was actively like running between like the flights and stuff like trying to keep my legs ready I was like I gotta like warm up for the race and stuff but I don't know. I, I felt like it was cool to do it a little differently and realize you can still be successful because I think we, we so often think like it needs to all line up perfectly and you need to have like, 
you know, the perfect race prep and like all this stuff. And it was, yeah, it was completely fine. I think I had emailed David like the night before being like, okay, give me a rundown of the course and all this stuff. Like, so I know what to expect. And then in the morning I was like pretty nervous and I just was busy and I just didn't even look at it and it turned out fine. So, (laughs) so yeah, I guess it taught me a lot about just kind of you know, it doesn't always have to be like this, this perfect cookie cutter method. You just have to ski faster than everyone else. Yeah, exactly. Which is like basically, yeah, <laughs> sometimes you just go with it. So <laughs> well, I think the travel might be a little longer this year. Yeah, it will. So I think it's, I think it's important that I uh, get there a little bit early with the jet lag because I'm flying straight from Beijing to Minneapolis. So we're recording this on a Tuesday in the U.S. and a Wednesday in Beijing. And it's been very confusing for me. For me, it's the day of the women's sprint, and for you, it's the day after. Um, but that's been your second race. What what have the races been like so far? Um, so the skiathlon went really well for me. That was like four days ago now. I ended up 31st, which was a bummer because I really wanted to be top 30. And I was in 28th, and then like four girls passed me in the finish shoot. So that was a big bummer. But I'm still stoked about it because I think I was in 42nd after the classic leg. And then I had like the 19th fastest skate leg, which I was really stoked about. So I just was like skating by people being like, okay, like (laughs) get into the top 30. And like, oh, and that's really fun because Um, you're actually passing people. It's not a time trial. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just like really motivating, I guess. Like you're just going for it. And like, there's a lot of big hills out there and I love that. And I just would see people and be like, okay, I'm going to catch this person. So that went really well. And it made me like, I'm pretty stoked for the last race, the 30K skate. Um, And I think that gave me a little confidence going into that because I haven't had maybe like the best season so far. So this, I mean, like the skiathlon was good just for giving me that confidence. And then, and that weather was heinous. That was an experience, man. It was like, you're just getting blasted by wind through the stadium. And so that was kind of cool. You felt like you're out there in like Antarctica. Then the weather's improved. And then we had like really nice weather for the um, skate sprint last night. And the snow sped up a little bit too, because it got warmer. Um, And that went well. I don't love sprinting so much. So I was kind of hoping for like some crazy good result, but I ended up just skiing like average, like how I normally do. So, (laughs) (laughs) so I was kind of like, eh, you know, it's, it's all good. And then we have a rest day today and then the 10 K classic is tomorrow. And then I think there's another break before the team sprint. And then we don't have four people here for the relay. So I get a break again until the 30 K, which is nice because I'm kind of want to rest up for that. Yeah. And six races in 12 days or or what it is, whatever that is, is a lot of racing. I think there's few people, probably Jesse is one of them that does that and they're just so good and so fit. And I think, I don't know if I could, do, I don't think I'd survive. So <laughs> Jesse won the bronze today, which must've been exciting to watch in person. It was really cool. Yeah. I think like I was watching it too. And I just was, we were like watching the final and I was like, I know she's going to medal. Like, and people were like, yeah, really? And I was just like, yeah, she'll pull through. <laughs> so it was cool. Cause I was right. I bet on that one. <laughs> yeah. Having followed the sport for, for so many years, it's fun to see people who, you know, have come up through in, in the U S doing so well and see former Cordelope winners winning, winning medals at the Olympics which is uh, obviously the most important thing she's done is won a Berkey event. Yeah, And exactly. obviously you as well. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> From the Berkey perspective, really, the Olympics happened in the last weekend in February in, uh, in Wisconsin and everything else is gravy. Yeah, so you finished there and I guess you'll probably go to the closing ceremonies and it's just onto the plane and onto, onto Minneapolis. Yeah, so I'll finish here. Um, closing ceremonies up in the air, which is a bummer because it's the last race of the oh, games right, right. and I think it starts at like three o'clock and it's, there's, I think there's a pretty quick train to get into Beijing. So like maybe I'll make it. We will see. I'm going to be pretty bummed though because I didn't get to do opening ceremonies because we raced the next day. So 
I don't know, hopefully I'll make it there. If not, just flying out the next day um, straight into Minneapolis. That might be interesting, though, because I'll have a lot of stuff from here. <laughs> but I didn't really have anywhere else to go before to drop it off, and I kind of wanted to get there and, like, you know, give myself a chance to race fast. So it'll be crazy. I'll be, like, just a pack horse, I guess. So theoretically, <laughs> you would have to you – know, you'll ski your 30K race, finish the race, come back. Would you pack all your things and go in the closing ceremony, or would you go back and forth? No, you wouldn't have to pack. Well, that's the thing, though, is I wonder, like, I don't know if they'd want you to go into Beijing to catch your flight. I don't know when my flight is. I need to look into that. But, yeah, I mean, ideally it would be, like, because I know this happened to me last games, and it was, like, I finished the 30K, got home, and they were, like, here's a plate of French fries for dinner. Let's go to the opening ceremonies. And, like, that was it. Like, I remember not even being able to, like, shower. And so I'm kind of skeptical because that was much closer. So I think it would be, like, come home, change, and go. Um, and then I think I'd come home and then pack and leave the next day. But I don't know. We'll see. It's tough because um, with that rule of having to leave, I think athletes need to vacate within 48 hours after their last event. So we won't actually have that many athletes left, like mm, maybe yeah, like yeah. a handful of us five. So it'd be really cool to be able to march <laughs> because it's like there's only going to be a couple athletes doing it. So I'm like, oh, I really want to represent. And like it's such the closing ceremonies are really cool. So hopefully it works out. Yeah, but. And with the with the, the ski events always being on the last day, the pretty good large contingent of skiers will be there there might not be many other athletes there totally um i don't think i think ski cross is really late but yeah there's not a lot of people left at that point we already had like tons of like because moguls are done we had like 15 people leave the village leave our little house yesterday because they already finished so it's like already happening <laughs> wow and it's so uh, it's gonna be pretty quiet by the end yeah mm -hmm. especially because a lot of our team's events are like we focus on like aerials moguls um like snowboarding cross and all that and i think those events are coming up in the next few days so it might clear out a lot for us. And it's all the COVID protocol that is just that you're not allowed. You know, they're mm -hmm. trying to minimize the number of people. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. but you talk to athletes too, and it's like in past years they've really wanted to hang out. Like I know in Korea they went and you know went to we had like my entire team went surfing because <laughs> you could go surfing in <laughs> Korea. And so they were like just hanging out, like going out every night, going surfing, like going into Seoul and exploring. And it's like, you can't do that. So once you're done, it's like not that fun to really be around anyway. So I don't think anyone's too disappointed. We just don't want COVID. <laughs> At past games, you could also go to other events. You could go watch other exactly. athletes. And, mm -hmm. yeah. and now you're just stuck here. <laughs> it, what's it like being at the at the venue with no fans in the stadium with with just sort of I mean I guess it's like a lot of ski races there's a few fans actually like and it's so funny there's like this dance crew so you'll be like warming up and a song will come out it's like flash mob but with less people and there's like these coordinated cheerleaders like dancing before the race it's kind of cool but yeah it's I mean I don't wouldn't say I noticed too much because there is a lot of ski races where you're like have no cheering it's like only in like Norway and Sweden, you have these massive crowds anyway. But it's definitely different. Like, I know the last Olympics, like, going through the stadium, it's like you were getting, like, massive cheering. And I had so much family that came and watched. And so it was just, like, so much more special being able to see them after the race. And, you know, you were getting, like, a lot of cheering coming through and, you know, like, lapping through on the 30K. And it's – you kind of get in your yeah. head and you don't notice it so much skiing. But it is a bummer when you think about it because it's, you know – it's a special part of these big events and it's kind of missing. Well, I guess it's sort of like the Berkey last year, which, you know, mm -hmm. even if you went to the event, there was no, no cheering, no Main Street. I, you did that virtually last year? I did it virtually, yep. Just down in New Mexico somewhere? Up high, at like 10,000 feet. We, we did like a, yeah, I think we, had, we got the, you know, the highest altitude, uh, Berkey. <laughs> it starts at 10,000 feet, so it's like... Brutal. Like we definitely okay. had one of the slower um, Berkeys, but we also we um, it's like on the Alpine Hill, 
So we, for our last, like, however many K, dropped down to the base and then did, I don't know, like 1,500 feet vertical back up the ski hill. So we were not the fastest. <laughs> I did it with another guy uh, from Albuquerque, and we just skied the whole thing together. Yeah. But it was cool. It was a good experience. So, <laughs> And we had we had a, a friend come out and do, like, feeds for us, and he brought, like, all this, like, yeah. snacks and stuff. And so it was, like, he was cheering for us and taking pictures. So it was kind of cool. We had a good time. Yeah. Well, but it's always more, it's, it's more fun to have uh, the, the crowds cheering on Main Street as, as you come down. And I'm sure, you know, the experience in your first totally. race of being the first one down must have been. I know. Been something. It's so cool. I've experienced nothing quite like that. It was, I don't know. I'd heard about it from David, but like not, I mean, his race went down a lot differently than mine, but it was so cool for me because I was kind of like just trying to make it to the finish line. And it was just like, wow, like. This is the biggest thing for the, like, I don't know. There's just not that many places where cross-country skiing is so big. Like, you know, you go and race, like, Holmenkollen in Norway or Falun in Sweden. World Champs was like that. But I don't think in the U.S. there's anything like that. And it's just so cool to see so many people so psyched on cross-country skiing. It's well, and I think the other the other cool thing for you, not not having not knowing it, is, you know, I guess you sort of knew it finished on a lake. But you probably didn't even know what was happening as you came around the supermarket and up over the bridge. And then Mm-mm. with the new bridge, you wouldn't have even known what Main Street looks like like until you Mm -hmm. shot down that hill and it's like oh there you are yeah so the only thing I knew about that bridge like it it was all from talking to David about it because he was telling me about his race and I was like okay I need to make it to the bridge and then I feel like I can because the whole time I was kind of like man I think people still can still catch me like I gotta keep going so it was a little stressful but I was like okay just make it to that bridge because I know that's close (laughs) but could you see people behind you on the lake yes I think I could I I mean I was I had broken away at like 25k like on the big hill but if I turned and I never saw anyone like through the windy stuff but when I got in the lake I could so it was a little stressful but because <laughs> you just kn- I didn't know how long it was yeah so it's don't fall apart don't fall apart yeah exactly if I slow down now who knows but <laughs> the lake I always like to say the lake is flat but it feels uphill but Main Street is uphill but it feels downhill yes yeah exactly <laughs> I think the other thing about 2020 is it was such a beautiful day. Mm -hmm. I know that I talked to people who said they just came up. They didn't even know anyone skiing the race. They just came up because there was a group of guys who I talked to. They said, well, are we going to sit around Minneapolis and drink in our living rooms there? We figured it'd be more fun to have come up here and have a couple of beers and and lose our voices here. (laughs) Yeah, it was such a nice day. And like... The skiing was, I remember because I had been training in Albuquerque and like the skiing is just like, it's high altitude. It's not like, you know, like it was such beautiful corduroy and like these big trails. And I've been skiing on like kind of windy trails where like, it's, you know, like they do a great job grooming and it's like an awesome community, but it's not like the Berkey was like, this is the best thing of my life. Like <laughs> best ski of the entire year is like the Berkey, you know, so it was really cool. And so much oxygen too. I know. It just felt great. <laughs> And you're doping again up at altitude there. I know, so, yeah. Uh, do you know if anyone else is coming from the Olympics to the Berkey, or are most folks going off to the next World I Cup? actually think most of them are going to World Cup. Yeah. Usually the uh, Berkey, the Berkey is the last weekend of the Olympics, so usually it's like the 30 and 50K are the same, often the same day as the Berkey. So this is sort of a different yeah, uh, a different experience where you have to do both. I was so stoked when I found out I could do both. Like, because it was like the one race I wanted to do. And I was just like, yes, I'm going to go straight there. <laughs> like, because I haven't yeah. been, yeah, it's just really cool to be able to do that, to race the Olympics and then race the Berkey. But it'll be interesting to back up the 30K with a 50K a week later. So, I mean, it's probably pretty good training as long as, uh, you know, as long as you can get good rest after Exactly. It, so. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping. I'll let you go and, uh, hopefully you can get out and get some good training, good, good skiing in yeah. and have some good races, Thank you. uh, there. 
and um, then see you at some point at the Berkey. Probably not in the moccasin this year because I don't think I'm ready for it, but uh, definitely outside of Main Street. Yeah, so, me neither. Uh, but <laughs> see you there. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank you to both Kitzel and Chess for coming on the show today. And we'll be checking back in with Kitzel in the next couple of weeks to keep tabs on the most important weather of the year. And I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm, I, I kept it in. I kept it in during the interview. I will not, I will not make anyone suffer that anymore. Um, but yes, we will have uh, more coming. We'll pre-race check-in with Berkey staff next week as well. So stay tuned for that and plenty of other good Berkey content to come. Again, thanks to Pioneer Midwest for talking about wax and applying it. And if you use the race rack service, you'll get 10% off with the code podcast when you check out. Thanks again for listening. Thanks to Catherine for the fiddling, and we'll be back soon.